So I wonder if you've ever been asked about a relationship or a situation at work or a decision that you've made only to respond, well, that's complicated. It's complicated. How's your marriage? It's complicated. How are the grandkids? Oh, they're complicated. How are things going at work? Well, it's complicated. What we mean by that is there are so many components and factors that what's happening is not easy to explain or deal with in a precise manner. Returning our attention this summer to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a letter written uh, to a Christian community established in the city of Corinth by the Apostle Paul. This letter was sent years after this church's establishment and the Apostle Paul's departure to another city. Whenever, whenever a new church was started, the Apostle Paul would, would inquire about the different churches and communities. And so when he inquired about the city of Corinth, I can only imagine the response that he got was, well, it's, Paul, it's complicated. There were things happening in that church that were compromising their corporate integrity. It's what caused him to write this letter. Throughout it, what we discover is that over and over and over, the Apostle Paul writes that, that as followers of Christ, our, our call, our mandate is to, is to reflect him, not only individually, but also communally. Because who we are together matters. We reflect Christ to a watching world. So this letter continues, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Where is the social media influencer? I, I added that. <laughs> Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, Greek look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 
It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This morning, I invite you to take a stroll with me down the ancient streets of the city of Corinth. Corinth was a complex city. In the year 146 BC, it was conquered and completely destroyed by the Romans, reduced to ash. But then 100 years later, in the year 44 BC, it was rebuilt and made a Roman colony. And so by the time we get the letter of 1 Corinthians, the city is growing rapidly. It has two ports because it sits on a body of water. It was the center of trade and commerce and influence. Corinth was a clearinghouse for the slave trade. It was said that if you wanted the best of the best slaves, then you go to Corinth. Now, slavery was very different in Corinth than it was in the antebellum south, but that's a sermon for a different day. In this city, you could find temples to all the Greek gods. Corinth was known for its perverse sexuality. If you could imagine it, you could find it in the city of Corinth. The Corinthians prized philosophical wisdom and the skill of oration. Those that were public speakers were considered rock stars, and those that could give a good speech were wealthy and considered wise. It was also the center of sports, particularly the gladiator games in which men would fight to the bloody death in front of crowds of roaring and jeering people. The ancient historian Dio Christendom once said that Corinth was a metropolitan city with people who thought they were great thinkers but were generally rude, arrogant, and ready for a fight. They were the New Yorkers of the ancient world. And these folks, they had precise definitions of what it meant to be strong and what it meant to be weak, what it meant to be wise and foolish, and human flourishing was dependent on these definitions. You see, those ancient definitions are really not that far off from our own definitions of strength and weakness. Because when I think of someone who's strong, like you, I I think of someone who is muscular and physically domineering, someone who's confident or brave, maybe tenacious. They live with grit, never give up. In our culture, we tend to uh, define strength sometimes in terms of, of geography. Those that live in rural areas might think of strength differently than those that live in urban metropolitan areas. Where you grew up might also influence what you think of when you think of strength. I went, I went to college with a lot of students from the deep, deep south. And there was this identity and collective strength by being Southern. I had some of my Southern friends say to me, you know, Mike, when they found out I was from the North, you know, Mike, South's going to rise again. 
And I'd say, to do what? You, you guys are down there eating biscuits, gravy, and grits. I'm surprised you got the energy to get out of bed, right? <laughs> and I just offended all the southern folks. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My friends had bumper stickers on their car that said, Southern by birth, American by birth, but Southern by the grace of God. Hallelujah. When I was in high school, there was a group of kids that were the popular kids. I was not one of them, but there was collective strength in being one of the popular kids. It's also no secret, and I'm unapologetic about being an avid, diehard Bills fan, and Bills fans refer to themselves as the Bills Mafia. We travel in packs. We will go to to stadiums on the road, and we will flex our collective identity. I took my son years ago to see the Bills play the Packers, and I wore my Bills gear proudly because I knew there would be others that would protect me from the infamy of Packers fans. Sometimes we... We use our intellect as a source of strength. How can I use my intelligence and my wit to show my strength over you, to shame you and show you how stupid you are? And weakness, those that are weak are puny, fearful. The weak get bullied. When I was in middle school, I was overweight, had terrible acne, and I was bullied relentlessly because I was seen as weak. The weak are seen as indecisive able to be manipulated and trampled over. We also, in our society, get these weird views of what it means to be strength, strong as a man and what it means to be strong as a female. Some think that if you're a guy and you like poetry and romantic comedies, you're somehow weak. But here's where things get complicated for the Corinthians and for us. See, what Paul is writing is that the way of Jesus is divergent from my own natural inclinations, cultural standards, and social expectations. So when I describe strength the way the world describes strength, I am compromising my integrity. Back to verse 18, we read, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To the Jews of the day, A crucified Messiah would have been scandalous and offensive. The Messiah was coming with strength and liberation. And to the Greeks and Romans, Romans, a crucified Messiah was, was, was foolish, was weak. And so we continue reading, but God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, the way of of Jesus is cruciform. Its substance, its strength, its wisdom are found in the cross in all that it means. And so for the Christians gathered in Corinth, the power was in the cross. Because see, the the surrounding pagan community saw religion simply as life enhancement. The Greeks and Romans cared very little about the soul of eternity. It was all about pleasing the gods and getting what I want in this world. The gods were strong and they needed to be appeased. In Christianity, that was a religion of fools. There was an ancient piece of Roman graffiti unearthed in a prison. We've got a picture of it. 
I don't know if you can completely make it out, but this was carved on a prison wall and the images of a person that is crucified, but the head of the man has been replaced with the head of a donkey and there's someone kneeling before it and the inscription underneath reads, Alexaminos worships his God. This this graffiti was created to make fun of a Christian named Alexaminos, basically saying, you know, you worship the God you worship is nothing more than a, than a donkey. Because see, before Jesus, the cross was the universal symbol of death and shame. The Romans created a word to describe the shame, the pain, and the experience of crucifixion. And the word they used was the word excruciating. The famed Roman orator Cicero said that good, proper Romans should never even say the word cross. Because the moment someone picked up the cross, they were already dead. And so it's into this cultural context that Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. A statement that he made before he was actually crucified. Listen, crucifixion was the exact opposite of strength in the Roman world. Uh, the crucifixion was, it was a humbling experience. It was one that made the crucified vulnerable. It was an act of sacrifice and suffering. And Jesus said, that's my way. If you want to follow me, pick up that. What? Pick up that? And so I have to dig deep and ask, is my faith the way of Jesus, or is it more a modern version of Greek polytheism and mythology than it is the way of the cross? Is my faith reduced to life enhancement and getting what I want? God, if you'll do this for me or if you'll prevent this from happening, and though I may not worship Zeus or Poseidon, it is easy to bow to the gods of my culture to get what I want and to superimpose a cultural definition of strength and wisdom into our faith. So when we as the body of Christ flex our collective muscle towards those we're against, are we not acting more like the Romans? And when I use my arguments and my intelligence to shame and call other names, am I not more like the Greeks? I mean, Jesus said, take up your cross. Now, as a, as a modern Western thinker, the cross is a symbol of, of, of comfort, find comfort in the cross. It's a non-offensive ornament that I wear around my neck, put in my ears, or tattoo on my arms. I was talking with Dr. Kafang in the back before he got out and spoke, and he was telling us about the intense persecution against Christians in Nigeria, and that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have been killed simply because they're Christian. He went on to say that pastors receive a special punishment. If you're a pastor in Nigeria and you're caught, you're immediately decapitated, which makes us shrink in horror when we think about it. You see, for those in Nigeria, taking up your cross means something a bit different than it does for us in the Western world. See, we lose sight of the irony that in Jesus' day, people who picked up their cross were forced to do so. But Jesus says, no, I want you to pick it up voluntarily. 
But embracing a cross voluntarily, for, for those that would have heard these words, it would have been the most absurd thing the mind could imagine. But following Jesus, see, really following Jesus is giving up my own way. The book of Colossians, the apostle Paul writes, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. I mean, do I really understand that? Take up the way of vulnerability and humility and sacrifice and suffering. See, the way of Jesus is divergent and it doesn't come easy because my inclination is to protect myself. I don't like the pain of getting a splinter, let alone picking up a cross. And yet the message of Christianity has always been countercultural. Culture has always been saying to Christians, you're not like us, why aren't you like us? All the way back to the ancient Roman historian Tactius, he wrote that Christianity was the enemy of humankind. Not that he simply didn't like Christians, but because they were an affront and they were contradictory to his social and religious world. The historian Octavius wrote of Christians, why don't you go to our shows? Why don't you take part in our processions? Why aren't you present at our public banquet? Why do you shrink in horror from our sacred games in which we kill one another? And It's because the way of Jesus is different. There are things in the world I do not participate in. There are places I do not go. And there are some things I find morally reprehensible because the way of Christ is different. And yet, in my own weakness, there are situations that I go into and I don't, as the book of Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God, I seem to put on the full armor of me. I argue and I shame and I get mad and I enter into this endless culture war. Cap Stewart once wrote that if you're fighting a culture war, you're, you're already losing. He goes on to say the problem with the culture war approach It's not that it readily discerns opposition from the world. The problem is the chosen mode of response. By embracing the culture war paradigm, many Christians adopt, likely inadvertently, an all's fair and love and war perspective. After all, in a war, you don't turn the other cheek. You strike back as hard or harder than your opponent because that's how wars are won. And so we employ battle tactics we normally would find reprehensible. We express outrage over every new infraction we see in the news or on social media, forgetting that we are neither to give in so easily to anger, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, and James chapter 1, verse 20. Nor are we to imitate the evils of outrage culture, cancel culture, or victim culture, 3 John 11. We fight and quarrel with our opponents, forgetting that such skirmishes come from selfish motives, James chapter 4, verse 1, and that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. We mock those in opposition to us using the popular rhetoric of sarcastic memes, name-calling, condescending language, forgetting that we are to communicate with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and to walk in wisdom towards outsiders by letting our speech always, always, always be gracious, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, forgetting that we are not in a war with people or morality or politics, but we are in war with something bigger, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people, but against rulers, authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 
12. See, Jesus said, in my way, if you want to live with strength, live with vulnerability, humility, and sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. Give up your own way. See, the Christian faith is not really concerned with life enhancement. It's concerned with life transformation. And that transformation is found in the strength and the power and the message of the cross. And it's from that place we find everything. Moving on to verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have, we have received, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot be understood because they are only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And those that have the mind of Christ, we know that God has already acted to save the world. And he doesn't need our help. What he needs is our faithfulness. Because if we think God needs our help, then we nullify everything the cross represents. Salvation in Paul's culture wasn't about the soul of eternal life. It was about getting what I wanted. And so religion was a means to get blessed in the form of health or wealth or rescue or harvest or more children. And had nothing to do with the soul, eternity, and morality. And I fear at times that the Christian faith is all not that far away from was experienced in the city of Corinth. And when I pray, what do I pray for? Is it just an endless list of things I need God to do for me? And what happens when the list isn't met? Do I just try harder or speak louder or do more? And then in the end, when I don't get exactly what I need, then I just say, then God, I'm done. Which really is more like the religion of the Greeks and the Romans than it is the way of Christ. See, strength is not dependent on our own actions. Strength is letting go and receiving what God has given because when we step outside of that, we compromise our collective integrity. Three years ago, I was in the nation of Israel, and one of the things I've always wanted to do is go float in the Dead Sea. The salinity, salinity, you know what I'm trying to say. The salt content of the Dead Sea is so high that you, you, you can't sink in it. So you walk out. I went to the Dead Sea, and I walked out, and you walk over this slimy clay nasty, I don't and you walk out into the Dead Sea, and you kind of, you sit down, and you lay back, and you just, it's like you're laying on a mat. It is the most bizarre experience I've ever had in water. And, like, if you're laying on your back, 
You can't drown because you won't sink. Now, I guess if you rolled onto your stomach, you would drown. But but laying on your back, like if you if someone tried to push you down, you just pop right back up because it's that intensely filled with salt. When I think of my life in Christ, I just strength is is just leaning back and trusting in God to hold me up and hold up my life. And so this week, my, my hope and my challenge for all of us is that we'll spend some time in these words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. And as we think deeply about our faith, is my view of integrity and strength and wisdom more a reflection of who Christ is or is it more a reflection of the world that I live in? And so that's my prayer, God. My prayer is that in all things, I would live with integrity, that my strength would not be dependent on myself, but I would find strength in the message and the power of the cross. That I would hear the words of Christ, if any of you wants to be my follower, give up your own way, pick up your cross, pick up vulnerability and humility and sacrifice and follow me. Maybe be reminded that the the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are of Christ, it is the power of God. And so today, oh God, help us to live with that strength in the midst of a very unpredictable, complicated world.